It's like Jigsaw has the worst work placement scheme ever. Like, he just picks up the people that are absolutely useless. And then he allows it. But the way that he teaches is that, okay, you fucked with me? Just, just wait. Just, 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 just wait. I'll get you. I'll get you fucking back for that. Uh, no. We are the good, the bad, and a Just Bane Standard podcast. Pop it up. Hello, everyone. Hello. Hi. I managed to stay consistent. Uh, I have the, the same Cyberdog t-shirt for all the uh, Soul episodes. Well, thanks for giving us the memo six episodes in, Yan. Ah. <laughs> I, yeah. I'd like to say now that Language Corner is back. Yay, Bilingual Corner. So I'd like to, just in case some people don't know what that word means, I'll introduce with this. A sage in classical philosophy, is someone who has attained the wisdom which a philosopher seeks. Right, so this film is called Saw Six, which in French would be Saw Six, which, if you don't speak French at all, is not funny, but would be the equivalent as if someone had decided to call that movie Saw Sage. Oh. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Oh, 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 oh. That took me way too long. I just got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you want to do that joke again for an ex benefit? Sausage. Sausage. I <laughs> actually <laughs> 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 have lost the duck already. We're, we're not even a minute in. Uh, uh, there is also another one for the next episode. Also, did I uh, say that the the Quebec equivalent was décadence? I don't think I said no, that. No, no, you didn't. You didn't test the French Canadian. No, no, that's um, that, that's décadence. And also, when we were watching Saw Six yesterday, we noticed something interesting. So the guy who was referred as Bluetooth in the previous episode. Whose name was Agent Erickson? Erickson, yeah. Who, um, there was a doctor called Jab Artson who invented Bluetooth while working at Erickson in the 90s. <laughs> That's great. Wow. There you go, Bluetooth. Shall we start off with Anouk's quote of the movie? As we said so many times in other episodes that Anouk is the best person to watch any movie with. Me and Anouk saw Venom yesterday as well, which we may do an episode about. We'll see how it goes, see what the schedule's like. But she, her watching that film was excellent. But in this film, you halfway through went, do you have to be a bad actor to be in Saw? <laughs> Is this who they get? Yeah. You want to go off at that point? I think it was, it, I was basically saying that I don't understand why there's so, there's so many bad actors in Saw. But I guess it's because, uh, as Adam then pointed out, that if your agent called you and said, hey, do you want to be in Saw 6? I think most of the top actors are going to be busy. <laughs> They're just at lunch. We'll call you back. Yeah. Well, think about it. They haven't had a major name since three, Angus McFadden. Right. Or even two with, um, or four technically, with Donnie Wahlberg. And I mean, you had the two actors in Saw 5, I think. Oh, the one that was indexed, thought was going to be indexed. Yeah. Uh, so and the girl you recognise from other TV series. Yeah. Um, she's kind of everywhere, but I think they're, they're a lot, they do a lot of TV series, so they're not going to be as famous as... The thing is as well, is there's the, the British to American divide, although these are filmed in Canada. So mm -hmm. in Britain, we have, a, we, we train for like three years. I mean, America doesn't really have drama schools. They have acting studios where it's, it's the kind of the same thing, but they're not in the same 
you know, because everyone everyone kind of focuses in on the dream of being in a in a Hollywood movie. You know, like they run off to LA sort of thing. I mean, we sort of have the same thing with running off to London, but we have a lot of emphasis on like training and theater, whereas in America it's all to do with screen. So I guess that we. Well, it's always kind of been said that sometimes you consider British people better at acting, which isn't, which isn't as a general statement. And to be fair, but well, plenty of American producers take uh, British actors for roles in their American movies. Yeah, it was like because um, they do great American accents. Those uh, British actors, <laughs> Idris Elba, uh, yeah, Riz Ahmed. Ahmed um, you were right the first time. America. Riz Ahmed. Yeah, but if he's Asian, it would be Ahmed. I don't know. I don't know. Are we, are we? Well, I'm sure you. Okay, whatever. Riz Ahmed, right? Is was his American accent in Venom was really it was flawless. So, like, I would never have watched that film and thought, yeah, he's from London. That's and, true. Oh, but we had uh, Peter Outerbridge in this one. Is he British? Have you ever seen that guy before? Mm, what, no. Who was he? <laughs> the very first time I saw, I found a VHS with both versions of the movies back to back, in French and in English was a movie called Kissed, about a girl who was, who fell in, well, it was a necrophilia story. Oh, Christ. And he was uh, kind of the um, love love interest in that. Uh, wow. But no, I haven't seen him uh, in anywhere. Uh, that sounds like a tough... Who, who was he in this? In, in what? In so. He was, uh, well, he was the, well, the... The guy who, well, the protagonist, well, the... Oh, the main guy, right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I was just like, who are we on about? <laughs> right, okay. I've d I definitely have seen him before. And I believed him the whole way through. Like, it, I, I just feel like there's a, there isn't very much exciting acting going on. I'm not going to blame the actors for that either. Like, that's wholly because it was probably directed that way. Because well, they want to focus on the traps. Well, this time we return to an episode one we discussed the editor... Kevin Gruter, which I couldn't get the name right, and I've probably got it wrong there as well. But he is now the director. He was the he was the editor for Saw One. So this is the first time it's moved away from the it moved away from whoever did five, which was a he was a production guy, right? And now we've got an editor because mm -hmm. it was it wasn't David Lee Bousman for five; it was somebody else. And now the, for, it's de deliberately changed from five. I can see why because five did not go down well reception wise. This film had to achieve something that five failed to do, which was entertain people. Yeah, they wanted to keep going with the franchise. They didn't want it to kind of fizzle out with five and then end it on six. They they definitely wanted to keep going. So. You can clearly see in the story of this one that they are getting to an end game. Like it is clearly being set up to enter the third act of a play. If so, if act one is John, act two is like the aftermath of John's death, kind of trying to carry it over. This is now act three of, well, the end of this is act three, like, right, get rid of everyone who's not doing what they were told to do. Well, there was, I think, for the first time, a very definite, uh, very um, previously in Buffy the Vampire Slayer <laughs> kind of intro. Mm. Yeah, no. Which meant on also the fact that they chose to have, well, the, the Peter Outerbridge um, and the who is and uh, what the whole story is basically can work on its own they, they gave you bits that mm. you, you were wondering about in the previous episodes the box we get to see her open the box 20 times in this one so we know <laughs> that, that there are six envelopes and a trap and plenty of uh, plenty of stuff which what did you think about the very first the merchant of venice trap <laughs> oh sweet is it ponch no it's not 
what's her name? I've I did a scene with somebody who played that character as well. I can't remember her Portia. name. Portia, that's it. <laughs> oh god, it's it wasn't I said I even said to Nuke, well, this certainly isn't Antonio and Ben Volio here, is it? It was certainly not. But this is a great point. Um the female actress in this scene was the winner of the reality TV show Screen Queens. Yeah. Which was a contest to find an actress to be in the the prize was to this role. And she's quite good. I thought she was pretty decent in the role. Like, she clearly cares about being that horror victim sort of thing. Like, it's a good casting for that for that one-off character. Yeah, it was good. I, I definitely believed her when she was shouting at Hoffman in the um, Aftermath, hospital yeah. bed. I thought that was, it was pretty well done. So, yeah, well done her for erasing stereotypes about people that win reality TV shows. Yeah, they're not all terrible, you know, like, win to be an extra thing. Although, Yang kind of blew that apart in his role in, like, Con Man. No, Con Man. Con Man. Con Man, I was right. Con Man is Paul Wilson. Con Man is, series. is yeah. the series you're yeah. in. Perez is back. Yeah, I feel like they couldn't get her for five and therefore they wrote her out and then they could get her for this one, so they wrote her in. They, I feel like that's the only reason she wasn't in five. Her appearance is, the, you know, like the stuff that they had to add if people didn't see the previous ones, which was clear exposition, but still it was said like, you let me think she was dead. Well, we knew that, but now that it's in there, it adds towards the fact that you could see that on on, on its own, I think. I do feel sorry for anyone who's picking up, oh, I'll just watch Saw 6 and just go in straight with 6 because by this point in the series, it's like, yeah, you need to have paid attention. I mean, even the fact that they even make 5 erasable by the fact that they write out the whole trap of 5 in the first 20 minutes of this film. They explain the whole connection of 5 in the first 10 to 15 minutes. They're like, oh yeah, these Strom, who Hoffman frames to be the jigsaw killer that was in 5, and he's like, oh yeah, he set up a test of people that burnt down a building. It's like, all right, there's five for you. That's all you need to know about the A plot of five. It, it, it's funny because I think it's probably in the latest ones, I would say then Costas Mandalore is the thing I, I like, uh, the, the person I like in that because I really like, so the coffin, we know that. Yeah, yeah. But his own trap at the end, that's one of the stuff that I really liked out of the whole franchise. The the upgraded reverse bear trap. Yeah, and how he gets out of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, that is the only trap in the fit in the whole series that has a 100% success rate. Nobody has died from that bear trap yet. Amanda got out. Hoffman got out. <laughs> yeah, talking about Amanda, there is another survivor. We, uh, we yeah. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's weird, because the film starts with the obligatory opening trap, and then immediately we're thrown into this point of view shot of Amanda and, and Cecil from four. Yeah, for a second, yes. Yeah, which was like... Oh, why are we here? Mm. Yeah, so, but I think quite a lot of franchises do this is that they, they don't really want to start a whole new story. And so they go back to the last few films and try and explain things that might have been a pothole, pothole, plot hole <laughs> and would have. But obviously, when you're watching it, it's not a plot hole. It's just they want it to be so that in the next film, they can like over explain everything that happened. And that kind of annoys me because then it's like, you, like even Adam all throughout the film was like, so, so that happened before the first one, but after this and before that, yeah, there's after a, this happened, there's there's like, a scene in this film where where we because the main one of the smaller twists in this that is Jill is absolutely one hundred percent part of the team. That is that if you were not sure that that was a thing, which in five it is not explicitly said that she is part of the game. Or in four, 
more. I mean, she gets left the box in five, but we're like, oh, what's in the box? But then we find out that no Jill is involved and Jill is totally. Jill has been left a set of trials to put people through. Yeah. It's after that we get a flashback with John introducing Amanda, obviously after the bear trap scene from one. So I'm like, right. So this scene happens after happens during a flash because remember, in one, Amanda's test was a flashback. So that is a flashback referencing a flashback that happened before the first flashback from one. Yeah. Amanda, who was a client, well, a customer, well, treated by Jill at the hospital. Yeah. Uh, yes, the uh, clinic. Who, and yeah. in the, we discovered that she was in on the kind of killing Gideon. Yeah, the, the robbery of the, of the methadrone. Um, or any whatever they I don't know if they use methadrone in America. I know what she's over here, but there might be other drugs in America used for heroin, ad- heroin addicts. Anyway, we get to see how the rack is set up. Yeah, the, I remember when I was watching three. I'm like, we come back here again at some point, and it was in it's in six where we see Hoffman just being a dick, basically. Yeah, I think that the sad thing is about Jigsaw is that he has all of these accomplices, but like they don't actually understand what he's doing. Yeah, all two of them, all two of them. <laughs> oh, wait, wait for number eight. Jesus, <laughs> all three, four, whatever, however many there are. They don't actually know. They oh, they all they want to do is is brutalize people. That's actually why they're involved in Jigsaw's thing. And you see this clearly because when Hoffman is screwing around with this rack thing, Jigsaw says, "Do you like how brutality feels, detective?" Yeah, exactly. Something like that. Exactly. But then also when Hoffman takes a wheelbarrow and like flings the body out. Jigsaw's like, that's a human being. And Hoffman immediately says something like, oh, I don't care, or he, he deserves just, it, or some shit like that. Yeah, like, like, oh, you, you, you can't talk. Like, you want the same thing as me. You know, you want them to suffer. That's it. You want them to suffer as much as I do. Like, don't deny it. It's like Jigsaw has the worst work placement scheme ever. Like, he just picks up the people that are absolutely useless. And then he allows it. But the way that he teaches is that, okay, you fucked with me? Just, just wait. Just, 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 just wait. I'll get you. I'll get you fucking back for that. Uh, no. Just wait until the, yeah. the screenwriters manage to piece all that together. Yeah. Exactly. The way that they did it is from that point, you see Jigsaw looking at Hoffman like, oh, I'm going to get you back for that. And then, so what he does is he dies in his will. He sends an envelope to his wife. In a box. In a box. Like with with pictures of like six different people. But then he says the five photos you send to Hoffman, but keep the sixth photo for yourself because the sixth person is Hoffman. And don't forget we're gonna get him back. Oh my don't god. Don't forget about the secret package that she delivers to a hospital somewhere. Yeah, what is that? That you'll see. Could you not guess what that was? Is that for Gordon? Yeah. Yeah. Like that's the that was the first hint that oh Dr. Gordon might be alive. So this is like because this all is before everything the first one oh, that mean, was a flashback we, with jill going to the hospital no? no no so i know we discussed we discussed earlier in the series in the very first episode i went let's not talk about other movies but this isn't really talking about another movie this is the fact of going I, at this point in time i reckon they are negotiating the contract for can we get carrie always back i think enough time had passed and maybe carrie always needed a paycheck or whatever you know 
they bridged the gap. I wouldn't have been surprised if every other year they kept coming back to Kerry Elways and going, hey, do you want to be in Saw? Do you want to be in the next one? And him going, no. So I think that something in the back of the background might have been going on going, we might be able to get Kerry Elways. He was a bit more cooperative this time round, but he wasn't three. Maybe we can get him in. So they set up the reveal that's probably coming. Was this one the sausage, the one that was also marketed as uh, Saw 3D? No, no, that's the next one. Saw 3D is is what, and is now retroactively known as the final chapter, which is now not true because there's Jigsaw. (laughs) But I think I read that this one was supposed to be 3D, but the director didn't want it to be 3D. That doesn't surprise me. So he was like, he kind of put a stopper to that. The production company like saying, "Oh yeah, we're gonna make this and a 3D version of it." Well, the and thing, the thing, do you remember the 3D fad? It is a fad because nobody is doing it now. There is nothing being billed as 3D. It um, doesn't work. When I yeah, when I went to the um, Marvel Marathon Film Festival thingy, plenty of them were just IMAX standard IMAX. Mm. Didn't yeah, yeah. even bother with the 3D, even though it existed at the time. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Because this is 2010. I can't remember when Avatar comes out, but Avatar really did like everyone. Went, oh we gotta do 3d now yeah but i don't it, remember when that came out but it only works for maybe a film like like avatar and not every film is like avatar well that's why it did so well because well, we, it's like not everyone can be james cameron there are two ways you do 3d you either do 3d which is to do with depth of field so like in avatar you can see the luscious backgrounds that have been created behind them yeah but or also in you the- have people swinging around so it's like oh they're gonna swing towards you and it becomes even more like well, part of your world that's what i was saying i was gonna say the second thing is that you get the in your face 3d popping out of the screen like you know like arcade style sort of right. thing yeah which, that's what i was gonna say which, which they never really did in the 3d movies anyway and I, i'll give you I'll, let's be honest if it's a saw film i mean those backgrounds we don't need to see the depth of like a dusty set you know like of a box room or whatever we the 3d would absolutely and is used as you know in your face guts flying at you that's what they would have that's what they they do we can't talk about the 3d aspect but i might talk a wee bit about it because no, you can see yeah. the effects in the next one anyway well you know the all the talking about fads there are now in the uk uh three screen x uh screens that are just open. oh that looks ridiculous yeah that, it looks gimmicky as fuck yeah and uh, it uh well the company who invented that also does the mod- the modifications on the film so that's more money that they get money 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 yeah. i um, mean that's what it's all about. money but yeah and it's not it's just that they adapt what is on the screen it's not something different so it's just so yeah it doesn't feel uh, something i would you, uh, you couldn't shoot like that for for people listening to going what is jan talking about screen x is essentially they put the screen on like three walls basically like yeah. straight ahead of you and then on the left wall and on the right wall it's like a super super wide shot 270 degrees yeah it's but it doesn't work because you think you'd have to stretch the canvas it's like if anybody's ever when at school when they're like right i'm going to put this picture but i want it the size of the whole screen and you like click the corner and drag it out the picture looks worse because you're stretching an image. If a film isn't shot at that length of screen, which you would need a hell of a wide lens for that, it isn't going to look pretty. It's going to look a bit worse. Well, it's a good way to make money because it uh, adds eight pounds to your ticket to go. <laughs> yeah, uh, Screen X, 4DX, in the same... That, yeah, That's crazy. I uh, didn't enjoy 4DX that much. We saw two... Did we see one thing in 4DX? Or have we seen two things in 4DX? Uh, one, I think. We saw Magnificent Seven, the remake. 
yeah, I, DX, which was I thought okay. that it took away from the experience because there was so much going on. Like your chair was being violated and <laughs> you you didn't know how, where your senses were supposed to be focused on. No. Yeah, you have to get used to it. I mean, I was born in Provence. I moved around Paris. But uh, as soon as I started to have a kind of a Parisian accent, my parents was like, oh, no, let's move somewhere else. I moved in the center of France, which is uh, very close to our place. There is a place called the Futuroscope, which is the European uh, pioneering place for all things uh, cinema screens and everything. There are uh, still at the moment like three or four IMAX screens there. There's one where you have one in front of you and one below you so you, you can feel like you're flying and that kind of stuff so and there was also a 360 for many years screen but n not like the one screen and then two sides like the screen x thing but that that thing closed many years ago mm. so i've been used there was the the uh, what is now called 4dx and all that kind of stuff is uh, not novel because we've been uh, w when people went to Disneyland or uh, Asterix, uh, Park Asterix and stuff. We, we never went to those, but we often went to the Futuroscope to see movies in big screens and, and 3D sometimes. I had a friend that went to Park Asterix and I was so jealous. I always wanted to go. Oh, I've never been there. It's still, uh, still out, I think. Is it still going? Yeah, oh, That's yeah. great. Mm -hmm. um, there was something in there that I've heard a few times before. I never went to check, but Adam, you said that it's from that movie that you learned about that. When John Kramer explains that in Asia, you go see a doctor and you have to pay. Uh, yeah. Well, basically, you have to pay when to, to keep healthy. Yeah, so this film, the main, we'll get to the one, a gripe I have with the return of the gripe word I haven't used in a long time. This film features a health insurance manager guy, basically the head of the, that department, in charge of finding flaws in your health insurance. Now, this is, this is a bit difficult for us to get because we're, we live in Britain and we have free healthcare, but in America... It's a huge deal, and especially when this film came out, it really did play on the fact of, like, health. I think if this is 2010, then it's a lot to do with the aspects of Obamacare is coming in soon. You know, we've got... It's two years into the presidency, right? 2008 would have been the first Obama year, right? Mm. 2008? Yeah. I yeah, because so. he ran... Because he left in 14, and then we got... Did he leave in 14? No, he left in 16, because then we got Trump. Uh, yeah. Well, it's... Anyway. Uh, there is a difference, because, we, uh, yeah, those kind of life insurance, uh, uh, daily life insurance, yeah, uh, obviously it's covered, like, if you have to go to the doctor, but uh, an insurance on, on your life in France, you have to contract something else for if you die or if you have a tragic accident, someone will get some stuff, but it's not free. Yeah, no, that's our thing here as well. Like, if life insurance is a separate thing. That's a payout if you die, if, if so on and so forth. But yeah, you see that, or they see lots of adverts on um, daytime TV, TV. yeah <laughs> talking about how you know oh i have a great family um when i die i really want them to have something you know it's always about when i die something will go to my family yeah. rather than it being something that you'd have to deal with while you're alive yeah i yeah. guess yeah the one i had in france which was sponsored by the navy sort of was weird because it was in case of death my relatives would get like twenty thousand euros but if I was to be uh, incapacitated from 80% up, that was 10 million. Whoa! So if you got a life, you, if you were paralyzed from the neck down, 
basically, you would get your family would get ten million euros. That's a lot of money. That's yeah. a hell of a lot of money. Yeah, well, maybe two, but yeah, still, uh, yeah, yeah. Jesus, Jesus Christ. That's quite. That's quite something. See, yeah. Well, I mean, that's because you've got to live with that. That's the thing. Yeah, and that's that's horrible. Like, yeah, that is not that is a, that's well, it's not easy. That's one of these facts you would only know if you were in the navy or the army. Yeah, that's one of those things that you would you would never know. That's a lot of money. I, I didn't know it'd be that much. But the, the 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 fact that it was with the navy helps with the um, the premiums every month to be a bit cheaper. But mm. it's pretty much the same everywhere. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, amazing. Anyway, uh, the, the, yeah, the, the the whole point is that the guy is being tested because he denied John Cl- John Kramer the chance to cure his cancer. Bec- and it, it's just like from the get go, we don't like the guy. We don't we don't really want this guy to survive the entire film. And this is where it is made. Saw has made the leap from what made it stand out in the first place. The first film, we actually felt sympathy for the people in the traps. Whereas now we're like, we're egging them on to be killed. Like, we just, we just don't care. We're just there to see the traps and people getting hurt now. Yeah, th- this was my big problem that, especially when you know that it's a film you're watching, mm. like from the get-go, you there are so many of these characters that you don't want to you don't care about so even if they live or die you don't care because they're assholes yeah like and it's i don't know i feel like every film set has to have like a a therapist or (laughs) someone who's very empathetic because you're not going to have your audience empathize with people screaming saying i'm pregnant i've got children please help me like you'll just shoot her in the fucking head it's a shame because that trap because referring to the carousel trap it might be one of the best ideas they've ever had and saw it's up there it's like super like it's one of the best ones they've done when people remember saw they think like pendulum reverse bear venus flytrap carousel yeah like those are the big 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 players and the fact that it's wasted on people that we just don't care about is like such a wasted opportunity yeah when i remembered the that one Mm. yeah yeah from watching it last year preparing for jigsaw yeah and i think um the the problem is is that there are so many ways that when you're screaming at the screen like if that person just did that i might be really upset that that person died or i'd be like rooting for them to get out Mm. or something but i have no connection to i don't even want them to die because that at least would have you know you'd have a connection to the people on screen but the fact that you don't care is like uh what's it called ah not empathy the other one Apathy? apathy thank you it's like apathetic. You feel apathetic about it, and it's like that's the worst thing way to feel about a film because either way you've won. So who we cares? <laughs> yeah, we we just know that those guys are in the dog pit. We and they're not yeah, good. We, well, well, they're not good because at the top there's the guy, but but they're doing their job basically. We actually. don't we don't yeah. get we don't get any relationship to anybody on that carousel. So. It already shoots itself in the foot by going, oh yeah, here's people we don't care about. Yeah, and they're not nice people. It's not about their job. Like that I can get, you can get away with because you can just be like, oh, well, you know, they're just doing their job. Like it's fine. But they actually act whiny 
and screamy and that's annoying to an audience like I'm it really, is I, i've said this on a couple of episodes but i'm really glad that i got the chance to do to do bull as a lesson and in, in when i was training as an actor because that taught me that you can't play states and this happens a lot and so there's a lot of playing the state of i'm in danger help me help me you yeah know? there's there's the other one as well jill and hoffman play evil correct jill this point because we now get the twist that jill is full on evil her choices beforehand have made sense now because like right she's playing the villain but because she's been playing the villain since four it's not really a twist that she's involved yeah she's always kind of yeah she was a bit uptight from the start <laughs> yeah she's yeah. playing they're like i i am a villainess i've got Fear something me. yeah i've got something that you want and i'm not going to give it to you and it's like, uh, if I liked you, it would be fine. But you've always acted shady. So I haven't trusted you from the beginning. And it's the same thing with Hoffman. Like, I know that you've always thought that he, well, knew he was evil. But the fact that other people know, it's like, I don't care. The problem is with Hoffman, I feel, is like, the thing that made John, like, so, the, the whole Jigsaw thing interesting was that they never got Jigsaw. Like, no matter how hard they tried, they never tracked him down. Like, he was... To the day, to, to his death scene in three, like the police never got him. They never caught him. He never escaped. No, he died on his own terms as well, right? Like he knew that he could either be shot by Jeff, uh, Jeff? Yes, Jeff. Yeah. Or his cancer would kill him. So it was always on his terms. The police actually never killed him. I've forgotten what I was saying. I was saying a point there. Sorry. What was I saying? Well, the. the oh, reason- yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that he never gets caught. Whereas Hoffman has, like, always been, like, never, like, elusive, if you get what I mean. Like, there's no mystery to Hoffman. It's it's very much, he's a police detective, but he's also Jigsaw. It's like, can't really be both. Uh, yeah. And Do you I know what I mean? He does, pl- I think he plays that as well a bit too much. Like, this isn't me going, you know, for the actors. Like, I'm not saying this is their fault. I'm just saying that the, the decision was... I'm going to play evil. Yeah. And I'm going to play, I'm going to play someone who is okay. Like a psychopath or a sociopath, someone that doesn't feel. Well, the thing is, so I went to see, uh, so I've never seen any version of Othello anywhere, but I went to see uh, Mike Rylance as Iago a few days ago. And obviously you get the sentiment quite quickly that Iago is not a good guy, but he's playing it. Mike Rylance is playing him in a certain joviality, so that even, um, you know, there is a line at some point, I hate the moor, which is in the middle of a monologue, but he's just being uh, uh, jovial and everything, and then there is at least a 10-second silence before he delivers that line. Yeah. And all the way through, you're rooting for the guy, but he's, he's like always the funny, I don't know how you're supposed to play that guy, but I'm pretty sure that is that's not what how he's usually played a jovial well, like that he's like um he's a fellow's best friend isn't he like in the play like or he, but he's jealous he is jealous of the a fellow's victories well th- this version was cut so we uh, i've read in the um, dramatist uh, thing in the shakespeare app it, because he's be- he believes that um uh, othello slept with his wife amelia Oh. So apparently stems from that which right, you, okay. you don't you don't get in that version of the play but in the full version the, there isn't a big aspect of that I, well the the, th- the problem the thing okay the amazing thing about Othello is that I mean Shakespeare's a fucking genius but he wrote it that Iago's like motiveless 
in a like you can read it like he has no motive mm. he just hates this guy because the racism is used to sway racist people and the sex stuff is to sway other people it's but himself talking to himself like the asides that he has he never actually says i hate them more because he actually is he just hates him mm-hmm. and so i you can you tell that i did this for a level um, i'm looking forward to recording the othello wouldn't know episode if anuk knows this much already i'm uh, like damn it we need to save this for wouldn't know <laughs> this yeah. play like gets me so much so but the, that's why iago is so interesting because you can put anything you want on him but that's that's why it's awesome for an actor because as you said you can play him in any way and it could work the problem with hoffman is that he's very like one-sided and it's like after three films of that it gets a little bit tired yeah and i feel like maybe even the actor is tired because it's like if you're if you're only doing evil 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 ha- there after a while you just lose tactics my like, first what, what other tactic can i use because i've used them all my first ever main role was judas and jesus christ superstar and that whole musical is 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 this the last days of jesus christ but told from the con from the eyes of judas which was quite interesting as a as a young person because i remember having all these like ideas for it but ultimately because of direction being put down one direction of like kind of evilness but it, it always felt complex and i've never told this story out, out loud but I'll, I'll tell it um during my last night of doing that show because it's a musical and you have to sing the whole way through my, like my voice was knackered so i have to make i had to make compromises because that's the thing it's a musical where everything is sun sung so your acting has to come through singing so i obviously had to try different things because i'm like my voice is killing me i can't do it the way i've been told to do it so i got to try some new things and this was before even acs so me understanding um tactics and tasks and whatever but i remember being taken aside at the end going if i was in a professional production the guy the director would have sacked me because i did everything different on the last night and i was like that's kind of a bit shitty but <laughs> I don't know if I agree with that or not, with the whole idea of like, I understand, obviously, if you do something different on stage, you will probably get shit for it because the director will be like, if it's that sort of director going, no, I want you to do it pitch perfect. Because there are people like that. There are people that will understand it. But the way that this story links into the episode is because I reckon at that point, because you know it's working, you're not going to change it. Yeah. And you've been told to do it a certain way. I think costas mandalore it's comf- it's easier to do something you're comfortable with so if it's been working for the last four three te- f- three really but four films you know why change why change what you're doing yeah I, I it does depend on what director you have because you do hear that some directors are like oh yeah and then he came on set and he tried this thing and it was really see when you're in theater it's different because at least in film you can just be like do you know what can we just do another take because mm. that didn't work in theater the director literally has to just let you do what you're doing because you're on stage right yeah yeah so i feel like if you're about to go on stage and you do something completely different to what the director has been telling you to that's a dangerous move obviously you were young adam like i think it's a bit unfair at that age to be like oh go fuck yourself it wasn't it wasn't in the case of like i'm acting differently it was genuinely voice preservation yeah well that's if that's not your fault that's not your fault you shouldn't have been sacked but you 
I mean, maybe you should have had a conversation with him. And I feel like now you would. I feel like, especially if you've got the whole show, especially if it's two acts, if you have a, that big an issue, talk to somebody at halftime, change it, you know. Yeah, exactly. But at least tell someone, like, don't change it on your own. Because as we were saying in an earlier episode, you're part of a whole machine. You're not just no, yourself. Of and so your ego can't really get involved and all you have to do is just be like okay i need to tell someone that i need to change something because i if i do that high note either i'll lose my voice for the rest of the gig or i'll like crack at the top and that sounds even worse it was it was a difficult time as well because it was like it's it's it was difficult because it was a youth it was a youth production i was what i think i was 16 i might have been 17 at that point yeah, that's quite tough to put that like pressure on sixteen-year-olds. From somebody that wasn't in the industry either, that was that was another thing. The guy was, um, I don't know, he still does DJing. I think he used to also works in ASDA as well. But I was like, that kind of made me comfortable because say if Mark did it, or say anybody that I've worked with as a director that I like, I respect because they're they have, they know they have a vision for it, right, and an idea of what they want. Yeah, but with this thing, it was like. This is a youth. This is a youth production, and I know it. It's like the story I told with the the Brussels sprouts. You know, it's not ruined the whole thing, has it? No, I think as well though that like if that happened to you now, you would have spoken to someone. No, absolutely, I would have a discussion about it. Yeah, I was, so th- I, I don't get me wrong. I remember I wasn't angry. I was like, I felt really ashamed. I felt I felt like I'd ruined the whole thing. I felt absolutely crushed. I felt like this absolutely. This cave of a man. I remember I was I was I, I was actually going to ask somebody out after the, the whole thing, and I nearly went nah, screw that because I'm such a failure. I can't believe that I've been doing this right for so long, and now I've just I've ruined this on the final night of this thing. And I remember going up to people like I remember going up to the MD and apologizing. He's like, there was nothing wrong with it. Yeah. So it was like this whole thing of like I I I just don't understand what I've done wrong and wanting to change it, like the whole thing of failure and what can I do to fix it, but just a lesson taught the wrong way like if i got that i got the same lesson from mark much later on in a completely different context but well the thing is that you're you're on your own thing so obviously you're fixated but if i think if no one came after what you say like well that wasn't cool what you did that's fine yeah i agree because that's the thing it's about live performance you know if like if if you're on stage and you feel a moment and you try something as long as it doesn't really screw up with the like blocking or whatever like if it's a tactic acting wise i feel that that's your game you know if you don't you can't change a scene you can't be like go on stage and go right you every night i've been told to play this like i break up with the, the woman i can't now profess my love and stay with her like you've got to stay in the boundaries you've set been set but Apart from that, as an actor, it's up to you to bring some options. And if and that's only fair if a director comes up to you at the end and goes, I don't like what you did there, then you take the note and you go back to the way it was, but you and you find a way to keep it fresh for you within staying with the line with what the director wants. Yeah. You know? Yeah, of course. I feel yeah. that that's the way to do it. That, yeah. That's what I love the shit faced Shakespeare Hamlet so much at the French. I went to see it seven times. And it was, uh, yeah, it's fantastic. Well, we'll talk about that in our French episode, but yeah, it's obviously the, the you introduce an unknown element into the play. So yeah, uh, yeah obviously, thanks for the therapy, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think it's tough though because if something doesn't work, it's really easy for us to be like, yeah, well, you know, production director could say this and blah blah blah, but we actually don't know what happened like no, behind the scenes. Not. So it's a bit like as just like a person watching the film 
it got a little bit tired. So mm. whoever's fault it was, or even if it wasn't anyone's fault, it just happened that way. Also doesn't help that it was obviously the last one. So you have nothing to rebound afterwards. Yeah, yeah, that's true for me. There is a scene I enjoyed quite a bit here, even though they milked it like crazy, when Hoffman is discovered. Oh my God, yeah. It's like, uh, you, you see corner of eyes from the one angle to another. It's just like for like five or ten minutes. It's like, okay, uh, go on, go on. I like how they had to try and explain themselves out of a hole. I, we talked about this in five, that there is no, for because of the twist in five, there's, no, the twist in four is that Hoffman's involved, but the twist with the pendulum trap is it's not Jigsaw. We find out that, right, that was a thing set up by Hoffman. So the tape in the beginning of five is absolutely John, you know, for the audience. But then in the film, they retcon it by going, yeah, it was actually Hoffman. I'm like, but it it clearly wasn't. So they have to spend this film trying to figure out that this guy obviously had some super advanced tech, but so do we. I'm like, but it, it, it wasn't Hoffman. It was absolutely in the film. The one we hear is absolutely John. So it's like trying to explain its own out of its own conundrum that it created for a twist, which clearly sees that they don't write these movies back to back. I noticed that you really loved uh, how we used uh, Hoffman used a Strom's hand for the fingerprint. <laughs> oh my god, that was a bit lazy. I, th- I felt like there must have been a nicer way to. It just didn't look very refined. And I don't know, I feel like sometimes a film needs to look good. The fact that he then, after being discovered of like, oh, that Strom's dead, like they know Strom is dead, he then frames Strom for killing the detectives. It's like, it's not like they didn't tell anyone, like they've not written it down somewhere, like in an email going, by the way, Strom is dead. Yeah. It is just ridiculous. Mm, uh, shout know. out to Perez's uh, limbs on that um scene because uh, when he just killed everyone she had the angles on her legs are just out of this world <laughs> he's like, oh, oh that, so, so um, we had some houses before and there was the, the twice the same and now we're in a zoo what? yeah i i remember saying that like uh, are we in an abandoned zoo I, yeah, I remember watching this and listening to a, another series that did a re- retrospective on um, on this saying that they had to look up that it was in a zoo. They only found out via the wiki. But it, it, there are bits in the movie where you, you see like Dor saying zoological entrance or like this is a zoo essentially, <laughs> which is a nice, it, which credit where credit's due, is a nice touch for establishing where you are. But if you need that, if you need to put like posters up to get where you, to understand where we are at, it's a bit like... Maybe you should have taken a bit more effort, like, to set it up. My other thing is, is like, remember the fact that in the first film that Jigsaw had to operate in a in an area that the gang only had like a two block radius, two YK. I think it was two YK. It might mean two KY or whatever. No, it'll be two YK because two KY is the phenomenon that everyone thought we were going to die at the millennium. So I'm like, this city has a has a, also has a zoo. Like, obviously, there's no city set for Saw. There's no, like, specific world location. Mm. But where, where do you reckon this is happening? I, d- I don't know. It's an abandoned zoo, so... Like, the whole series is just in a, in just in a, a city somewhere. Yeah, it, uh, it's... It, they basically would... They were just trying to find creepy abandoned places and i guess a zoo is perfect because there are like loads of little rooms leading into rooms and you've got all the pipes underneath and all the you know the the inner workings of how you know how a zoo Mm, is built and all this stuff so it's perfect for you know a torture house so i guess that was their thinking 
And I guess they wanted a way to have the barbed wire hanging trap. Oh, yeah, that's true. So they needed like a little platform and then nothing and then a glass and then, yeah, so how you'd watch animals, I guess. Yeah. Um. So now the, the first few notes of Hello Zep are entirely unrecognizable now. Yeah, the the exaggeration and expandingness of the the original theme because I've, is I've, pretty huge. <laughs> I've watched the video that you talked about. I think when uh, Charlie Clauser uh, is actually doing the yeah, thing. Yeah, he's he's editing eight, right? He's doing different bits. So I think in the clip that you is it the one where they're doing the buckethead traps? Is that the one you watched, or is that a different one you watched? I don't remember. No, I think it was plenty of movie, the different versions, and at the end it did the actual very first one mm. with the the very first notes that dee dee dee. That's the hammered dulcimer, the name of the instrument, mm. Mm. Uh, which is now so plenty of stuff added on top that you basically have to uh, really listen to actually be able to. Just, just I just feel that. As the series has got on, it's like this, the theme was the one of the best things in number one, and it's just slowly, slowly got more and more ridiculous, as have the films. So, actually, Charlie Clouser might be super intelligent going, well, these films are getting a bit more and more ridiculous, I'm going to make the theme more and more elaborate. Which, if that's true, that's quite a cool idea. Now, that's a really clever idea to do as a, as a sound angle, you know, reflect what you're doing. Because I, I think if we just had the original theme from one, it wouldn't fit, you know? Yeah, I guess so. Mm. That harrowing, just almost um, carnival-like music that comes on at the very end of, of one that yeah. affected us so much and still does. Like, you hear that original track and go, oh, wow. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Know? Yeah, um, definitely. Game over is back, so everyone said it now. Oh, yeah, Jill, Jill. Jill got it great. Jill has a game over. Can we talk about the best scene in the movie, which is the the franchise, the, the, the best, the best acting of the franchise between the investigative journalist and Jill Tuck? Oh yeah. my god! It was not great. It's amazing. Doesn't Jill open the door and immediately like walk into shot? It's like that she pulls the door and she's in shot already. Like it's it's the most unnatural thing I think I've ever seen. It's anyone open a door. Yeah, and no, I think it's just very obvious that either the script. They're reading from a script that's just been like you know put up in front of their face. Martin so it looks, style. yeah. So it looks like well, I mean, I had that a lot when we were at ACS. That if you don't know your lines, someone can just have the lines up and you could read them, but have them further away so that you know people, the audience can't catch that your eyes are reading. It just it just looked like they literally just learned their lines and they were just saying it. Hmm. Uh, to each other. Do you remember on Game of Death, the because Jan, Jan was the lucky one who got to do the fighting. I was the gamer, but you, Anouk, also got to do the, the post boy. Yeah. So you had the scene where you opened the door. Yeah. Do you remember how you acted in that? Like, you know, did you have, you were doing something before you opened the door, right? Yeah. And then when the door opens, you like look up as the door opens, not before the door opens. Like you hear the noise as you do when you open a door. You then open the door to see somebody outside and the person outside the door is usually just waiting, doing their own thing. Here's the click and they look up because yeah. I know this because I I'm a delivery boy when I'm not doing this. And I know that I, I just look about until the door opens. I'm like, right, the door is open now. I don't stare at the door waiting for the door to open. 
But with here, she is staring right out, ready to look at the person as soon as the door opens. Yeah. Just like in the previous movie with the old lady. Do you mind? Oh, <laughs> the elevator. That's a good, actually, that's a great question. What What did you prefer? Did you prefer the woman coming out the elevator? Don't provoke him, lady. Or Jill and the, the journalist in this scene. Of the, those three options, who what's the most ridiculous acting you've ever seen in the franchise so far? The elevator is pretty awful. The elevator is pretty bad. I'd forgotten about the elevator. But. Um, Definitely. my The door opening doesn't annoy me that much, Adam. What annoys me is that they were just given their lines. It's like guys put tactics in it slow down like rush a few things like stress that stress this like you're an actor you're supposed this isn't supposed to be easy you can't just like read your lines out and think that that's okay Mm. like it just annoyed me because it was like guys really that was a scene Uh, i agree that's kind of an interesting point do you feel that some people are just cruising through this they just like or do you think this is them this is the thing with actors right it's like are they cruising through this because they've got a gig and they just like the money or are they trying but they're just not any good no i think because when i think somebody that when somebody tries and they're not very good you can see it and that's admirable and you use these people we don't actually call bad actors the people we call bad actors are the people that just look like they just don't give a fuck I think I know exactly what's going on. I think that these people thought that they were acting in a certain way, then were told, can you please tone it down a bit? Because on screen, it can pick up every little bit of your facial expressions. But they toned it down completely, so they just looked dead. (laughs) That's quite a good point. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and they were not even in any trap. Okay. <laughs> yeah, um, no way. Yeah. Do, do we want to talk about the death of that whole franchise at the very end of those episodes, like the arrival of paranormal activity? No, or? we can talk about it now because this is this is when it happens. Yeah, we can talk about it now if you want. Okay, so you you lived through that, uh, Adam, didn't you? No, I lived. I why well, old am I in two thousand ten? In two thousand ten, I am. Um, 14. This one is 2009. This is 2009? I am 13 at this point. So I'm two years off being able to see Paranormal Activity because they were 15. That is the thing that majorly played for its benefit because Saw's an 18 and it always was an 18, but Paranormal Activity was a 15, meaning they could get a younger audience in too, which are more likely to go and see it. Because I'm sure, Anouk, you would have been old enough to see the original Paranormal Activities. Um, Because you would have been, what, if you were born 92... Eight, eight plus nine. Sixteen. You would have been old enough to see them in the cinema if you wanted to. Oh, eight plus nine. Seventeen. Yeah, still old enough. Yeah, seventeen. But, um, yeah, I mean, I lived through the, the phenomena and it was kind of like Paranormal Activity kind of had the same thing that Saw did. You know, like Paranormal Activity 1 just came out of left field and like everyone was like, oh shit, this is really scary and everyone, everyone talked about it. And the fact that Paranormal Activity 2 opened the same year as this, I think. Was it 2? Because I don't think Paranormal Activity became annual. I think the first one, and then there was a break, and then there was a second one. I, I just realized there were like four, well, more than one. There's like, like five or six or something like that. Yeah, I only watched the first one. So. But because because we talked about it in five, that it started the effect at five. Because five was so bad, nobody cared about Saw. Nobody came back to see this, you know? People gave yeah. up. So the fact that this one, for me, I found enjoyable, and they embraced kind of an, an attribute of what, saw used to be like the five was this weird blip but six was more in line with like it's had some essence of other ones you know 
to which I enjoy, it just it just couldn't survive because paranormal activity was a new juggernaut in town, you know? It's tough though because I'm looking at how much they made and they still made about 50 million more than their budget. Yeah, but think about, if you think back to the first like one, two and three and they're making a hell of money. They're making big bucks. This is a flop to Saw. Really? Yeah. You're also looking at it as a, a lifetime making. You have to look about how much did it make like opening weekend and stuff like that. If you go back to that, like Paranormal Activity killed this at the box office. Like, because they opened around the same time because they both come out Halloween. Oh, that I understand. I just mean that I, I'm not shocked that there are another two saws coming because they actually made quite a lot of money. Well, the thing is, there's only one because remember, we're looking at this now here. Remember, after 2010, Saw disappeared for seven years. Remember, Jigsaw is 2017. Mm. But there's Saw 7. That's it. Yeah, that's the, the following year. We can talk about it now if you want. There was plans for Saw 8, right? But because of Paranormal Activity and because how 5 and 6 were received, they crammed all of 7 and 8's plots together to make 3D or the final chapter. Jigsaw. So No, no, that's later. Just the final one that we've got to watch next. And then Jigsaw is oh. a separate thing. So they crammed that all together. So there was a hope, which we'll talk about more in seven, that there was, there's clearly two plots happening in seven and they've just been mashed together. Well, the golden goose can't lay eggs forever. Correct. They, I, and sometimes the, you have some extremely weird flukes. I know that Venom was smashed. Uh, and every critic was like, this is crap. This is just bad. And it is killing at the box office right now. Yeah, it's going to get... I mean, it's, I mean, you don't get Woody Harrelson in for no reason. No, that's for sure. I actually didn't know who Carnage was, so I was... Spoilers! Oh, shit, sorry. It's all right, this will come out weird. It's not that movie. It's fine. <laughs> okay, um, but I actually really enjoyed Venom, personally. Um, does anyone else have anything more to say about Six? No, about the film itself, no. Oh, yeah, we finally got a payoff. We finally saw what Amanda's letter said. From three. Yes. Three films later. And so I, I guess I actually quite liked that part of it because it was like, oh, that's quite well-rounded. We understand now that she had to shoot her because Amanda would because that's her character. So I yeah. thought that was quite nice because it made the writers really... It look it okay. Yeah, Hoffman blackmailed her and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. And mm. it was nice because you could tell that the writers really cared about Amanda's character because you saw that that's what she would do. Mm. Like she wouldn't be the type of person to be like, no, do it. Just tell John, I wouldn't care. She would because John was like her father figure yeah. and she super cared about him. So I thought that was actually quite astute of the writing team. Got a good flashback for Jeff again though. Jeff, seriously, Jeff Jeff has appeared more than, than Donnie Wahlberg has at this point. I guess, well, yeah. Jeff was in three, he was in four, he was in a flashback of five because we saw Strom, and then he's in six. He's been in three to six. Yeah. Mental. I don't know. I I enjoyed seeing the different traps, and there were certain aspects where I was like, oh, that's quite clever. It felt different. But the film, I didn't like. It felt different. I mean, having an editor as a director, it definitely had a different feel. I mean, in the last four and five, I've definitely felt like going A plot, B plot, C plot, A plot, B plot, C plot, like coming around in like a, in a pattern. Whereas this one, it felt kind of meshed together, which I quite liked. It, it, made, it added a different feel for me. I really liked the fact that this didn't play like five at all. This felt away from that, which it needed to be. This needed to be different to five because five just 
I don't know if anyone else hates five as much as I hate five, but I just don't like five. Yeah, I I don't like six. <laughs> All right, well, that's perfect for me to link into. Unless Jan has anything more to ask. No, I'm ready. Are we doing good for time? Yeah, yeah. Right, so, Anouk, Jan, was Saw 6 good, bad, or just plain standard? Make your choice. <laughs> Anouk. Oh. I forgot to ask, didn't I? I might th- say that this is bad. Oh. I didn't like this film. I... It's weird as well because I I get your point that connected to five it was better, but there's just something about it that I just it's it, it was lazy. It was it's starting to get tired. It's annoying because I wanted I didn't really care about the people that were dying. So it's like when do I? St- I don't know. I feel like because the traps were really interesting, it's easy for me to be like I really enjoyed it. But actually, I didn't. I feel like you know give credit when it where it's due but not when it's part of the film Mm. like a certain team was really good in the film but that doesn't mean that i should like the film well that's what i said but remember alien for me is legendary because everyone came together exactly and i feel like a lot of people just didn't i don't know i feel like they were just trying to make money they're just trying to keep it going keep it going they're just milking this this you know and cows running out of They're milk. whipping the dead horse a little bit. The udders are getting tired. Yeah, and yeah, the horse is dead. The horse is dead. Stop flogging it. <laughs> Just exactly. Yeah. Well, I like it more like in a matter of million years than four and five. Yeah. And for this one, because in four and five, I talked about how I could not talk about as a standalone, this one, I'll probably prefer the version like in its own mm. a bit more than the, uh, the as part of the franchise. So I would say that as part of a soft franchise, it uh, the high standard. Right. Wait, wait, no, it's a standard. And as on its own, it's a high standard. All right, so we're in the just plain standard category with the up the top. For me, I, I, I did enjoy this film. I think I have a soft spot for this film because I think this was... Because 5 is so bad and I'd forgotten how boring 4 was. Like 4 was really boring. But four was trying to be three, you know, like it's still trying to capture the essence of what the other films did. And five tried to move away, but didn't do it well enough. But this kind of, this is kind of the Goldilocks of four, five and six. You know, this one's just right. This is just enough, not like the original three. So it stands on its own and just enough like it that you, you care. But I, the thing that I like the most about this film is again, Tobin Bell. Tobin Bell in this film is really good. In fact, Tobin Bell is in this film a lot more than he was in 5 and a lot more than he was in 4. He's really used back to bring back because they realise that Tobin Bell is what people are coming back for. They're not coming back for Costas Mandalore or Jill Tuck's character. No, Jill Tuck is the character. Where do I rate this? I mean, I agree with Anouk. This is a bad movie, but it's a guilty pleasure for me. So I would say this is a bad with a flair of enjoyable. I don't think it's just plain standard because... I would rather watch this than Jumanji Enter the Jungle, in my own mind. But to me, this is this is quite bad. Okay, so that leads me, since we jumped off at five, would seeing this film make you want to see the next one? I.e., you saw this on an off chance and went, ah, I'd quite like to get back into Saw. Anouk? No, definitely not. Jan? Well, I quite I quite like uh, Costas Mandalore, so I probably solely on that I would like to see what happens to him next, but that's the only reason. All right. I hate him. 
I don't know. I think he's he has the perfect face to for for the for the job. I, I agree with that. Oh, yeah, I yeah, do agree, I with, agree that. with that. I do agree with that. I don't think anyone else could have done this part because it's quite a like one sided part. So mm. I do hats off. I've been kind of grueling toward him, but it's not. I'm not against him. I just feel like he's he's had quite a lot of the same stuff to do, and it's yeah. like. I don't know. I, I just, I think that is my flair. Like flogging a dead horse. I'm, I'm just, I'm a little bit done because, because we keep on bringing paranormal activity back in. I think, keep on thinking about the feeling that I had watching that film. And it's not the feeling that I'm having with sort of three, four, five, six. <laughs> uh, three was all right. It was all right. No, okay. So three, you couldn't watch. We watched the unrated version and you were just like, this is barbaric. Four, maybe five, six. Oh, four, four onwards. After after the original writers, Lee Winnell and James Wan left, I think it's been difficult to get a, a footing. It just feels a bit like a cash grab, which is just immediately annoys me. Yeah. The trouble is, if we really do think about this in the retrospect, none of the ones that have followed, and we'll talk about this at the end of the next episode to the original, you know, if you no. look with that flair in mind of like, remember that, that how good Saw 1 was, you know, yeah. Saw 1 had its flaws, but overall it really worked. Well, you know what, what um, has uh, me excited actually? And knowing that James Wan directed the first one and co-wrote it is to see what happens with Aquaman. Yeah. Hmm. Because he's directing that. Oh. Yeah, it oh, yeah, it looks like CGI as fuck in the trailer, but yeah. Mm. You never know. Mm. Well, that brings us to the end of Saw 6, leaving us just seven, and then revisiting with Jigsaw. The Jigsaw review might be shorter than usual because we have talked about it before, but we will address things that we didn't talk about in that film. Mm. So we'll be able to talk more at length about mm. other things and within retrospect of what we've talked about in the last previous, the previous seven episodes. At the time of this recording, this one we just talked about, six, uh, seven and Jigsaw are on Netflix. Yes. Um, at the time of this recording. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Mm. In the UK. Yeah, in the UK, indeed. So, thank you for listening, watching, being there, existing. Yeah, cheers. Yeah, very I hope cool. you're, I hope we're still keeping you entertained, even if we're on number six. Don't worry, we're nearly there of the Saw extravaganza. So, this was Ooh. Saw Sage. <laughs> we were... Adam. Anouk. And Jan. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Good, The Bad, and The Just Plain Standard podcast. If you like what you heard, you can leave us a review via iTunes. If you want to keep up to date with what we're doing, you can check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Good Bad Standard Podcast on both platforms. If you fancy seeing the live streams that we talk about on the podcast, they can be found on YouTube.com. You search for Milk in a Wine Glass. There are other bits and bobs on there too, just to see what Jan's up to during the week. And if you really like us, like really, really like us, why don't you head on over to Patreon.com slash Good Bad Standard Podcast and have a look if you want to support us. Any small donation is appreciated.